You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 153, Whitesnake, Come and Get It. And coming to you from the, I don't know, worn out suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, I'm your co-host, John Spaghetti Squash Matola. <laughs> so, did you, you recently enjoyed have, that one? Did you recently have Spaghetti Squash? Your, your boy made some spaghetti squash. I took a... <laughs> My boy. <laughs> your boy. <laughs> I, I, I haven't finished it yet. I, um, I was doing a... Um, I, I realized recently, <laughs> recently after, our, after our trip and um, after having a, a barbecue meal this past weekend, I'm like, I'm not getting enough vegetables in my diet. Yes, and the, it's really, yeah, the trip was, <laughs> was a killer. <laughs> it's really screwing with my uh, everything. So, um, so I'm trying to cook more things with vegetables. So I found a recipe where you take a whole spaghetti squash and you put it in the crock pot for mm. four hours before sure. cutting it and like fluffing it and everything to make the spaghetti squash noodles. So um, it's, it's in the kitchen cooling right now. And after the show, I'll go see what secrets it may hide within. <laughs> hopefully none. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully only good tasty ones. So That's right. I usually we'll roast see. it in the oven, like cut it open, take the seeds out, put it like cut side down. Yeah. Olive oil, salt, and pepper all over it, and then just scoop it out. Need a little dollop of ricotta in there, mix that in. It's really nice. You mean a rigot? I'm sorry, mm-hmm. a nice rigot. Yeah, there you go. A gabagool. Well, um, if you can't find any rigot, just use a gabagool. It's the same. Well, I'm, I'm lazy, same thing. so I'm, I'm looking for, for easy ways to uh, meal prep. So uh, mm-hmm. try this one out. Nice. So we'll see. That should be good. I should have said it's the presidential suburbs because it's President's Day today, which I was just telling you before the show. I... <laughs> Didn't realize that the kids were off school today, so my show prep was, I pushed my show prep until the last minute thinking, ah, I got a whole day tomorrow, I'll get everything ready, it'll be squared away. Usually, you know, I come down, I like set up the whole studio, get everything going. I was just basically running around for the past 20 minutes doing that all while we were talking. So, um, so here we are. We are here and ready to go. And hey, you know what? If you want to support our show then you can do so a number of ways. First of which, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Helps new people discover the show, or so I'm told. I don't know if it's true. Um, the other way is you can buy merch on our Etsy, Etsy store. Etsy? Etsy? Etsy. Yeah, I think Eps, it's Etsy. Epsy. Still open as we write this. My threats of shutting it down have just, I just <laughs> lost interest. I'm like, I'm just leave this. Your threats. <laughs> I'll leave it open so I can sell, you know, a t-shirt every week or two. Um, <laughs> probably not even that often. Um, so for uh, the other, the last way is become a patron on Patreon or on PayPal for as little as $1 a month recurring donation. You can help support the show, help us buy new equipment, new microphone. Well, we don't really need any new microphones, but if this microphone were to break, we'd say, hey, we're going to go to the kitty from our generous donors and, uh, you know, get a new microphone or get a new whatever, buy his albums, buy his all that sort of stuff that we need for the show. So thank you so much to all of you for your support. Um, and uh, speaking of our patrons... 
Coming in at the 2112 Long Live Rock and Roll tier, we have Richard Fusey. At the 10 pound tier, we have Dr. Jill Brees. At the Turn It Up to $11 tier, we have Clay Wambacher, Frank Tealgard, Mortensen, Allen, Ain't Too Proud to Beg, and of course, none other than Mickelstein. And at the $10 Someone Came tier, Ryan M., Jeff Bryce, Gerald Kelly, Victor Campos, and Better Call Saul Evans. Thank you to all of you at the executive level for supporting the show. And hey, speaking of Alan, ain't too proud to beg, he had some um, some uh, alternate ideas for the 2112, uh, the 2112 tier name. Let's see if I can find them. Uh, the Temples of Syrinx and the Meek Shall Inherit the World tier. So there you go. Hmm. Rush ref- references, I'm assuming. <laughs> Which is what yeah, I'm not I would have them. to assume as well. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, definitely not a. Um, uh, I'm not a a big rush uh, rush guy. Although I do, I really appreciate rush. I just never really um, um, never really got too too deep into it. So same. Um, I'm trying to look it up right now. Yeah, 20, yeah. Temples of of the Syrinx. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that correctly. We don't want to do the. Uh, do rush wrong um so yeah uh those are some of our patrons right now uh and um you know it's not just about patrons uh we also gotta take this out for a spin the vibra slap the vibra slap flexitone gets a uh gets a spin and you know what that means if you're listening that means we've got another five-star review in an apple podcast this one comes from a familiar name cd morissette who it can only assume is Corey morissette from the um and the podcast shell rock van halen podcast coming into us hot from canada five stars a must for music for all music fans whether you're a lifelong fan of deep purple or not or not this podcast is a must listen for all rock music fans Oof. well thank you very much that is uh, you know, it's a tall order. I, I, I appreciate that. Hopefully, we can live up to that. Um, uh, to that very glowing review. Thank you, Corey. Oh, I'm nervous now. I'm getting performance anxiety. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's why I got a little liquid courage right here. A little. Mm. Ooh. Have a little sip. A little sip down the gullet of Sam Adams Boston Lager. Going, going really old school right now. You know, uh, in the in the in the distinct Sam Adams glass here. Because I'm a I'm a jerk, oh, wow. so I you drink things out of fancy glasses that's one thing like um just an unabashed sucker for if a beer is like hey we released a special glass and this is the best way to drink our beer i'm like i'll buy it and drink it out of that glass like i'm I'm such an idiot (laughs) why not i mean it's part of the experience right i love i love drinking beer out of a nice glass and um sam adams boston lager is a beer that i kind of dismissed for a really long time and then i went back to it and i was like you know what this is actually a really good vienna lager i enjoy it thank you sam adams thank you i think uh, there's kind of something to that because my um i mean here um i'm more of a a regular wine drinker Mm -hmm. um even though as we established on the trip i was more of an everything drinker um but (laughs) um, you were discriminating (laughs) i was drinking everything in sight (laughs) something with a pineapple in it something you were you were like that scene in caddyshack where he's drinking all the leftover drinks he's got the one full of cigarette butts (laughs) (laughs) you weren't thankfully that at that place but but um but um my um there's there's something that's different about drinking wine and like a nice wine glass that as opposed to 
my relatives who live in um, in uh, Naples will just drink out of like they'll they uh, do homemade wine. They make mm-hmm. their own wine, but they'll pour it in like jelly glasses, you know, yeah, like a Mickey yeah, Mouse yeah. jelly glass or whatever, because it's just an everyday <laughs> thing. Yeah. And it's it's still good. And when you're there, you get into it when you're there. But it's it's kind of like when you're when you're here, it would feel wrong. Like if you went into if you went into like a five star restaurant and they put down like a like a friggin McDonald's Garfield <laughs> glass from like jelly 19, ja- jar, yeah. 1982 and they just poured it in. You're like, uh, I don't know. My so, father-in-law uh, dropped so, off a yeah. whole a whole set of uh, Muppets, uh, McDonald's Muppets uh, glasses. Not I was going to say wine glasses, but those kind of like collectible glasses. <laughs> so we have them upstairs. Yeah. Oh, that's yep. great. Are they they like vintage or? Yeah, they're vintage. Yeah, he he was a uh, he he was like an executive with McDonald's for um, for a long time. So he's got he's got a lot of weird like memorabilia and stuff like that. Um, I used to have like That's the cool. Return of the Jedi glasses. I think it was like a set of four of those. I wonder if my parents have those anywhere. But I'd, I'd be too scared to drink out of them, you know. Oh yeah. But yeah, it's a yeah, it's a different thing. Like for me, like like I I enjoy um, I enjoy beer, I enjoy wine, and I enjoy I enjoy the ceremony behind it, and I enjoy the you know enjoying it in the right glass and with the right food. And I don't drink to you know I'm not just gonna pick up a thirty rack of Miller Lite and, and try to get wasted. You know, like that's not I don't drink to get drunk. I drink because I enjoy the really. That's that's taste. so your persona. I know it's I mean, always been your persona. Nate, thirty rack of Miller Lite, Beaudry coming to you, coming to you live. That's, just, that's your nickname this week, Nate, thirty rack Beaudry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever purchased uh, one. But, you know, like if I if I go someplace and like there's a beer selection where I think there was one place on our trip where we went and the the, the selection was not great. And but then mm. they but they had like Stella and I was like, great Stella by all means, uh, avoiding the Miller Lite or whatever. But hey, different but drugs I, for different but, folks. But I agree. Like I think that whether it's food, drink, whatever the the ceremony behind it, you know, it's kind of about the experience. It's like if you go somewhere, it's nice to. Have a nice presentation, have it set up on a nice plate, have the drink in a, you know what I mean? It just, it makes it, other, otherwise you're just going through the motions. Sometimes it's nice to have that kind of like extra step. Makes it exactly. a little more special. Exactly. Especially when I'm recording a podcast with one of my oldest friends about Deep Purple. Or in this uh, case, oh. White Snake. So speaking of White Snake, if you look behind my shoulder over there, you'll see Norman Weichelbaum's donation to the uh, show. His uh, Austrian pressing of of uh, Come and Get It. <laughs> we keep for- <laughs> <laughs> We're like, we don't know what the name There's Some of the early White Snake albums, we can't. We're like, what were yeah. you saying earlier? Like, come and Slip, come and get Yeah, yeah. What I called it, Slip It In. Slip it in, go get it. Slide, uh, the, slide it. slide the tongue on in and get, come and get it. Slide the you know. tongue, bend over. Like, I don't even know anymore. Well, we were, we were before the show, I, you said, what album are we doing again? And I told you, and you're like, didn't we do that one already? I was like, no, we did ready and willing, <laughs> not come and get it. Um, but uh, so before they were ready, they were ready and willing, and now they want you to come and get it. Exactly, and then and then mm. we'll see if you're a saint and a sinner. Our next, uh, our next, our next move. But um, but yes, yeah. I feel like I get the all of these albums confused. Like I know the titles and the songs, but like when I <laughs> when it comes to the the ti- the the actual album. Uh, the actual album names, I always get them wrong. And I famously, uh, one of our early episodes called it Slip It In and you were cracking up. And I was like, but at the end of the day, that's not really any more vulgar than Slide It In. 
It's like slipping in, <laughs> sliding in. Like what's the, you know what I mean? They're Slip both and sliding in. Yeah, they're both equally uh, equally vulgar. Um, <laughs> but um, um, but yeah. So what's uh, you want to kick it off as you as we always do? Like, do you do you have any history with this album? What's your history with it? Um. Oh boy, I forget. <laughs> Can you show me the album cover because I forget? <laughs> um, no, really, really. I I mean, it's um. Here, let me, uh, oh my God, like slide it in is in my brain now. So I can't even remember the damn name of the album. We are, we're terrible early white snake fans. Um, okay. It's the one with the snake wrapped yeah. around the apple, yeah. right? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The snake yeah, in, the, in the little glass, but you know, it's like, it's very similar to me that this album with the American version of trouble, like that they kind of look similar. It's just like this one's in a glass and the trouble one's like on some weird lunar <laughs> lunar landscape or whatever it is. Right. Right. So, um, you know, let me see. No, I don't want you to pull it up yet. Um, um, I just want to, yeah, see, we do so much, so much research here. Um, <laughs> okay, now I got it. Now I got it. You're looking at the. It is. Yeah, I'm looking. Yeah, okay. So it's the snake and the apple. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Isn't this the one with the 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 female genital album cover? Yes. Or is this the second one that they're doing it with? Well, no. This is the the first one. How do we ever come to talk about this one? What do you mean? Oh, oh, you know what I think it was? What you're thinking about is when we did Love Hunter, we were talking about how like uh, that album cover in America was, and we'll get that to that when we get to the album art. Like they they didn't ban that album cover in America, but they did make them change this one, which for reasons uh, to w- which we'll get to later. Right, so I think right. we yes, might have okay. even we may have even like put that album cover up and, and discussed it briefly on that episode, if I remember okay. correctly. All right, that's probably why I got mixed up because I mean, yeah, if you're disco- uh, discussing. Uh, sexual innuendo album covers with White Snake. You could go down the, you can go down <laughs> the snake. Pick. You can go down the snake hole. Like uh, I was going to say the rabbit hole, but I want to keep the, the theme. Uh, the snake hole for his. Uh, now that even that sounds dirty. Uh, Coverdale, although, what have you done to us? <laughs> although it's interesting, from like '87 on, they they had that just complete shift where they their album covers were just like weird, like. Uh, wax seals of the logo and just like marble backgrounds and they've well, kind of yeah, I mean, held to that ever since well you probably figure that the the a and r guys at the time were just like look <laughs> <laughs> but i mean if you want to get anywhere like, like bon jovi what they tried to pull with like the original slippery when wet album yeah. cover and like tons of other bands were still doing stuff like that so it's weird that they went with this kind of like i don't even know no. i don't even know what you call that style of those later album covers it's like I a, mean, at that point, Coverdale was probably like, look, we've been slagging away at this for years and I want some success. So whatever it takes, I'll dye my hair, I'll get shredders, <laughs> like I'll right. do whatever it takes. But um, uh, the history with this album is similar to the other White, early White Snake albums. Is This is just kind of one in a group of uh, cassettes that I had picked up. When collecting early White Snake, not having any idea what order it was in, just kind of going by the years, like looking as like, okay, this one's 1980, whatever, and I just kind of getting them all out of order. And um, like I've probably said before on earlier shows, it, it was interchangeable. The music was interchangeable to me because early White Snake does have a identifiable sound. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying that in a negative way, obviously, but it, it was just that early bluesy White Snake sound, which is definitely like once you hit 
saints and sinners, it starts to change a little bit. And then when you get to slide it in, it's totally, you can tell the the shift, but this and the previous albums before it are just kind of, um, it's uh, in those early days, it was hard to kind of make a distinction. Yeah. And I think, um, I remember having just the mind blowing experience of, I mean, it must've been you that told me about it, but just kind of figuring out that, oh, Coverdale was in Deep Purple and then going backwards and then learning that there was a, a white snake, you know, so so I think it was kind of that, that point where I'm like, okay, so it's 1974, Coverdale's in Deep Purple, he leaves in 1976, and then, wait, what is it, so what does he do between Deep Purple and White Snake? Because all I knew was White Snake 87, and like a lot of Americans, that was pretty much, they didn't have mm-hmm. a ton of American success until that, so I was like, okay, so what did he do for the whatever, 11 years in between those. I was like, oh, he was in Whitesnake for the entire time. And then right. finding out that John Lord and Ian Pace were in Whitesnake, I was just like, okay. And as I got really into Mark Three and Mark Four, it's like, I have to have these albums. And I wasn't really so interested in the ones that didn't have Pace and Lord on them, but I, I seeked out whatever, Love Hunter This, Saints and Sinners. Um, and I, I think those were the only three that I got. And then I picked up, you know, the David Coverdale solo albums. So I had that, just that small collection that I never really dove too much into it. Cause the 1987 album just didn't really do it for me. Um, and, and the part of that, I think was just a reaction to the hair metal thing that was going on at the time. I was just like, I need to be different and not like that stuff. And, um, a lot of the production stuff I still don't, I'm not crazy about, but I definitely have warmed up to a lot of that stuff since. So, so yeah. So for, for me, I, I, it's not like I played this album every day, but like these, or, or some of the early Pace Lord White Snake albums, I have a, a passing familiarity with. So I think listening to this is going to be a lot of like, oh, I remember this track, and you know, just like really. Uh, but you know, every it's like White Snake. I've gotten, I've always really, really loved White Snake, and but it's one of those bands that, as much as I love them, I never like d- dove in and got their entire catalog um, because I think of the later stuff turned me off a little bit. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, that's my history with the album and um, the actual history of the album. So this one came on the heels of Live in the Heart of the City, which was a double album that they released, obviously, uh, which we covered in, you know, a few months ago uh, in an episode where we did a live stream. Um, And in the UK, uh, Ready and Willing and Live in the Heart of the City had done quite well. So this follow up was getting done at Startling Studios at Tittenhurst Park, which is... um, do you know Tittenhurst Park at all? <laughs> Tittenhurst. <laughs> I was wondering, like, is that why David Coverdale <laughs> selected it? But uh, there's um, no, no. What is it? So it's 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 um, it is where uh, John Lennon used to live. Um, so it's it's his house, and there's a picture of him with Yoko standing in front of it. Um, mm-hmm. in, in 1973, he ended up selling it to Ringo. And at the p- time that they recorded this, Ringo was, it was his house, but he kind of rented it out to bands that were looking to record. Um, so it's a beautiful, like uh, Georgian style mansion. It's on 72 acres. It's got these beautiful gardens and everything. Um, there's a, here's another shot though. This is a, from a very famous, this is them at here when John Lennon owned the property. It's the Beatles. And this was like their famous last photo shoot. It was like, I think it was August of 1969, um, where they had their last photo shoot. And there's like, there's video footage from it and everything. So it's got, it's a, you know, it's a very famous uh, location. Um, it, it had a, uh, 
I, I think they said um, John Lennon paid something like 145,000 pounds for it, which seems so cheap, um, mm-hmm. even though it was years ago. But he ended up at some point it got sold again for five million. And then it, within like the last 10 or 15 years, it sold again to a, a sheikh who was the former uh, president of the UAE for one hundred and five million. So a pretty good investment <laughs> over time. Um, mm. And um, here's here's like an aerial view of it. So it's got, you know, the house up in this kind of pedestal and it goes down on these retaining walls. Looks like there's a, I don't know if it's an indoor swimming pool or a botanical garden or something or greenhouse, but it's a pretty amazing property. I would love to go see it one day. I don't know if they do uh, uh, do guests or whatever, but um, that's kind of a little bit of a history of the property. Um, so it's this very famous place. Um, Marie said, uh, Glenn Murray said in, in an interview that they, you know, they, there was a studio there, but it wasn't particularly big. So they ended up doing the drums and the keyboards in other rooms of the house. Uh, so obviously the recording studio is probably there just as, you know, for as a home studio, but they ended up using it for um, a lot of other stuff. So that is uh, kind of the lead up to to the album, the personnel. Nothing's changed since the last album. You've got Neil Murray, Ian Pace, Bernie Marsden, Mickey Moody, uh, John Lord on keyboards, of course, and Coverdale. And um, there's the a coordinator listed on the in the album cover, listed as Magnet. Um, this is John Ward. He used to be he was a roadie for Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple before becoming the tour manager for White Snake. Um, this one was produced by Martin Sir Larry Birch. This is the famous Sir Larry moniker. All right. Um, which I know we've referenced before. I don't know if he ever did any other. We need like a, a spreadsheet that says his names and like which albums they're attributed to. So I don't know if Sir Larry was a one-off. Sir Larry. Or he used it again. They call him the farmer. They call him Sir Larry. What's some other ones? Lots of, there's lots of good ones. The Wasp is the most common one, I think. Mm. Yeah, the Wasp is the one that I'm the most familiar with. Yeah. So um, the cover, the cover of the album, um, you can bring the screen up again, is uh, <clears throat> a snake in the glass kind of representing that like temptation, like it's going to you know, break the glass. Just the, the, the old school white snake logo with the, the snake spelling out white snake. And then, um, of course... Uh, I would be remiss if I did not mention that the the snake's mouth looks like a vagina. And this is what got them in trouble in the United States, uh, which is very funny to me because the United States, this is the United States version. They just like made it look a little bit more like a tongue. But it's, this is like a very American thing for our non-American listeners is there'll be a thing out there that nobody in there, like, I don't know, like, honestly, when you saw this, did you think that looks like a vagina? Or did you just think like not not for years? I didn't notice until it was brought to my attention that, and that's kind of what that's very American. If you're if you want to know a little bit about American culture, if you're not an American, it's very American to just be like, there's a thing that nobody on earth is thinking is at all sexual, even though this is obviously intentional. But but Americans will be like, oh, you can't do that because it's whatever, and then people look at it and say, what? Oh oh oh, I guess I see it now, and now you've brought it to everyone's attention. Now everybody's thinking about it, even though if you could have just put this out, nobody would have. You know, just looks like a snake with a tongue like I, I you know just it, it doesn't jump out at you um, at right. least me um, so yeah so the American one they just very slightly changed it and made it look a little bit more like a tongue uh, but honestly it looks still looks a little bit like a vagina I was like they yeah. should have gone a little bit further but whatever um, 
kind of a kind of a stupid thing. Um, so um, yeah. so Malcolm Horton did this. He did a couple of um, solo albums for Bernie Mars, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Uh, there's a great article with him where he's talking about. Um, uh, he, where he talks about he put this up recently it must have been last year because it was for the 40th anniversary um so he he says uh yeah it was on april 6th of last year um so he, he tells the whole story about um you know about where he he met john well he was friends with john ward magnet and um and he was uh when he was working with Led Zeppelin and then he said uh, he ran into him and he was telling them oh, white snake doesn't like the new album cover they're getting. And we're, you know, we're going to, uh, you know, um, uh, he suggested, you know, getting this guy involved. So he, he made these like mock-ups of it and said, you know, and sent them to, to David Coverdale. And of course Coverdale loved it and said, you're hired. Like you've got the job, like let's give it to you. Uh, so he did these paintings on a, on a, like a, basically a two, two, two foot by two foot canvas. Um, and then, uh, you know, he says, uh, you know, he did that to get his best definition on his painting that he could. Um, and then, uh, much like the love hunter art, he says it's gone. Like he doesn't know where it is. It's, he thinks it was stolen mm-hmm. or missing. So somebody out there has got a really nice, uh, collection of stolen white snake artwork. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it seems, it seems a shame that this stuff is missing, but, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, that's the album cover. That's the American version. On the inside, uh, the sleeves just got a pretty standard. It's got black and white, like posterized uh, uh, guys in the band with the the songs and the lyrics. Um, that's the label from the album itself, side one and side two. And then the back cover is the the, the glass is broken, so you know the the snake or the temptation of has gotten out. Um, so. It's kind of kind of cool. Yes. I always like that back, and I like the little the little silhouette or not silhouettes, but the little like um, d- darkened heads of the of the players up on top. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me a lot of the uh, uh, was it um, um, uh, slaves and masters where they had the is that the yeah. one where they had the, na- the they had them then what position they played and John Lord was just like John Lord. <laughs> I'm not playing. I'm not playing football. And <laughs> <laughs> just like. Forward goalie and then John Lord keyboards, <laughs> yeah, keyboards. and nothing yeah. and nothing else. Don't you even dare! <laughs> yeah, you don't see him in any of those pictures. You don't really see Roger as much either in those football pictures. But a lot of Ian Gillen, some of Pace, and definitely Blackmore. He was, I think, the driving force behind that. Um, then the photo was work is done, of course, by Finn Costello, who's always um, seems to be involved in these projects. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's the um, that's the album artwork from yeah, this. Uh, from this Pretty album, well done. yeah, I like it. I think it's, I think it's really, really nice. Very um, simple, but but really good, good art. Um, yeah, then, definitely a con- a concept behind it, like a cool concept. Oh, that's the cassette. Here's the cassette artwork, which yeah. is you know just kind of a, which that was the that was the worst thing about cassettes is like the artwork would always just have to be um, oh, everything. I mean, everything about cassettes was horrible, but like the artwork would always have to be. Either you would get the square at the top with the, like the barcode at the bottom, which looked so cheesy, or you'd get yeah. this, which is like just zoomed in, so you miss part of it. So there was never a good way of doing it because the format was so different. And then when you when you back went back right. to CDs, it was the same. You know, it was a lot smaller, obviously, but it was um, a much easier to capture the same art. I mean, for all I know, 
uh, that was this was obviously the the version or similar to the version I had is uh, I wouldn't have known that it was a snake inside of an apple because it's like you said, it's so zoomed in. All you can see is just oh, right. yep. the snake filling. I mean, you can see the apple up there, but I mean, if you just look at it dead on, you can't see like the sides of the image are obviously cut out and there's a loss of quality, I'm sure. But yeah. Yeah, but then the white snake logo is completely covering like the stem of the apple. So yeah, you you lose. You know, it's like a snake in a ball or something. But yeah, it, right. if you're not if you're not analyzing it, you kind of miss out on some of that. Here's the inside of the um of the cassette work, and then it's got that same those same six uh, little portraits of the of the guys in the band. Um, so pretty cool stuff. <laughs> I, I mean, I I wish I would say I <clears throat> excuse me. I wish I could say that if I knew now. Uh, then what I know now, I would have bought records. But around the time that I was really consuming music, it had to be portable. Right. right. Um, and that that portability for us was, I think, important, um, which if we were born like 10 years earlier, we probably would have had a stack of records, but yep. wouldn't have been able to take them anywhere. Like I would listen to the uh, my headphones, um, my my Walkman, like on the, the on the bus to school. Um, walking around my house, like just everywhere, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, it was, it was the car and the Walkman were the two, the two big ones. And yeah, you wouldn't be able to get that with a, with a record. Mm. Um, and then I, it's got the clear. <laughs> you could, would you be carrying around the record player? <laughs> <laughs> it's while I'm, while I'm cleaning up the church, I'm carrying this. I got a backpack with a record player on it. Um, skipping every two seconds. Um, do you remember like so this is it was a clear cassette so i remember do you remember like to me i don't know if this was just me but i always associated the clear cassettes with being like of a higher quality or like a, like yes. a more of top shelf and the opaque ones that were just like the 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 um darkish gray or the beige or the white that were opaque yeah. like to me that was like oh but this one you could see the spool of tape in there like the whole spool you'd be like oh this is this is high quality i don't think there's any fact behind that but it just seemed to me like it was when you bought that you was you were getting more of a top shelf cassette you know this this is a um i agree and i think that it has to do with um i, I don't know when you see like these days uh electronics or anything like that or um see-through type stuff and it's uh, that kind of style where you see all of the the wires and the mechanics and everything you're always like ooh. um so i think that's what kind of grabbed me about it but one of the things that i remember um that this makes me think of and it was um i can't remember but you know how when the 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 tape spool would get like uh sometimes it would get caught the mechanism mm -hmm. and then it would fuck up the tape so you pull it out and then it would be like all caught and everything so mm -hmm. then i have to unjam it and then you take the pencil and you go like this yep. well there was one time where something like egregious happened to one of my cassettes and it was a clear one i believe and it was all bunched up on the inside mm -hmm. and so i went to my dad's toolbox and i got one of those little tiny like the, the little tiny screwdrivers mm -hmm. and I unscrewed like the four corners of the tape and like I had it laid out like I was doing surgery and I like pulled it open <laughs> yeah, and like, a, and, like those like silver trays <laughs> oh my god no I remember it was like it was either on the kitchen table or like in my like in my bedroom like on my desk where I did my homework and I just had it all laid out and I was like meticulous with it because I gotta fix this because there was no other way that you could mm -hmm. hear 
the tape if it broke. And then like I put it back together and it was all, but the tape was all like crinkled. Like mm-hmm. it looked like it was all wrinkled and shit. So forever that and, one part of the tape was sounded like a little screwy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, at least it still played and it's crazy to think about the lengths that we went to through to hear music because number one, there was no other way because mm-hmm. uh, I, I didn't have, any other money. I wasn't just going to go out and buy another white snake tape or whatever. Um, so that was, it. and I mean, I couldn't just hop, first of all, I couldn't just hop in the car because I wasn't 16 yet. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then, and even if I, even when I was, I didn't just have disposable income to throw away. Um, so yeah, just bringing up the, the cassette brings back all those memories, but just doing, I've done surgery, cassette surgery more than once. <laughs> believe me (laughs) yeah and vhs tapes too same same thing oh geez yeah well forget vhs tapes they were always black so oh yeah i I don't remember ever a clear vhs funny. i wonder why they never tried that uh with the vhs tapes it was Hmm. always i mean they were always black or like like a darkish gray yeah every so often maybe there'd be like a white one it seems like something you'd get from the library or something would be that like that color I mean, I was a collector, a big collector of VHS tapes, which recently I had gotten rid of a lot of them from my collection just because they're, I don't know. I mean, watch me be wrong in like five years, but I don't think this medium's ever coming back. I hope not. But if it, if it um, does, I'm, I'm all set. <laughs> like, I don't need I mean, a crappy like, quality, uh, like inconvenient way of watching things. But I kept a handful of them because some of them. I have memory attached to, or they're valuable to me, or I feel that they were, I know that they're valuable just money wise, even though I would never sell them. But, um, um, when I would go and like, just scoop up a ton of like horror movies, uh, they used to have this, um, uh, what was it? It was like, fi fye or some video store or whatever and they would have like the the ten dollars and under rack and i would just be scouring it for old horror movies and they would be like the lightest like you'd have like a, a regular vhs tape that would be like twenty dollars and it would be like it had some weight to it mm-hmm. and then you get these ten dollar cheap ones and they'd be like light <laughs> as air and it was like because they probably they used less tape because they recorded on the cheapest <laughs> speed and i was always like why is this one weigh like two ounces and this one weighs like 12 pounds <laughs> like i could never understand yep you had those three modes you could record at like sp mm-hmm. E, e, SP, SLP, and I, I can't remember what the three were. I think EP or something. Maybe, but like, yeah, there was the I one. Always, like, I remember I had all three Star Wars movies on one cassette, so the quality had to be awful. But I mean, I didn't care. I oh, just yeah. watched the hell out of them. But you know, six hours worth of video was on this one. Cassette. Well, that's the thing. You could get like six or eight hours of video, four or two, and the only there was only for like like really really important things. Mm-hmm. Like I would, I would put it to the highest quality because if you just wait, you could either <laughs> I record bet the quality like, was difference was not that big. <laughs> right. Right. I probably thought it was, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it's the same thing as is like, okay, I could like squeeze like, like a million things onto this one tape. If I use the six hour mode mm-hmm. or I could put one movie on here and it's like, yeah, I don't have that kind of money. <laughs> I remember Paul and I bought this, like uh, it was like a three pack of VHS tapes uh, at like Suncoast video or some, something like that. Was that the one at the mall? Emerald mall. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, so. Yeah. And, 
I forgot what the one of them was called, like hilarious hockey bloopers. <laughs> it was we watched it and we were cracking up, but not because they were hilarious. These were just like the worst bloopers of all time. And then one of them is like was, was like, wait, didn't we just see that blooper like five minutes ago? And then five minutes later, they show it again. It's it was just absolutely oh awful. God. But the music from it, we had the we actually recorded the music from it because it was just playing this like almost yakety sax knockoff thing. Like all these, like you know, you just picture the guy like pulling the it's just like this crazy, stupid music. It was it was a great purchase. I don't remember what we paid for it, but it was worth it. Anyway, that is neither here nor there. Um, now we're just out, we're just left with merely the album. John, are you ready to kick in to some? Are you ready to come and get it? Basically. I'm ready and willing. <laughs> You're ready and willing to come and get it? Well, I he, am. Well, here's an album for you. Here's a song for me. That nice dry, pacey beat. Some talk about in, in Martin Popoff's book, um, Sail Away, which is right here, about saying that this is this was said by some to be foreigner sounding. As soon as you said that, I was like, I heard it. <laughs> yeah. I, now that I'm hearing it again since reading that, I can sort of hear it. I was going to say there's a nice mix of like all the all the instruments are mixed together really well like the guitars John Lord's keyboards like the beat is just like really just big sounding Pace's drums sound really nice and I mean it's a, it's a cool it's a cool melody and some very classic Coverdale lyrics Yeah, I really like this bridge. I love that bass. Yeah, I know. Neil Murray just slaying it as usual. Yeah, I mean, he's... <laughs> he has a big one fat-ass bass line in there. I mean, I always loved Murray, but get such an appreciation from revisiting these albums. Really nice snarl to his bass on this one, too. Pacey with the ride symbol there. Be funny if we were at the we were at the casino and I'm like, that's the guy that played on Come and Get It. <laughs> that would have been even more <laughs> no, random. You, you picked Shades of Deep Purple. <laughs> Maybe because I went all the way back to the beginning in my mind. I mean, it, 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 that was, you know, it's... You know, I was looking at some old uh, stuff with 
pre-Deep Purple with Pacey and Rod Evans. I'm like, man, just like, yeah, that was the guy that was in on the ground floor with Rod Evans before he even met the Deep Purple guys. Like, crazy. Right? We should have asked him about Rod. Yeah, when's the, uh, it would be, when's the last time you talked to Rod? It'd be funny if he's like uh, 50 years ago. He'd be like, dope. <laughs> probably, yeah. Or, or some court proceedings, maybe, in, the, in, in 1980. Oh. <laughs> right. But, yeah, more than likely it was 1969. I think there's something about the early White Snake to me that is just so... It just feels like putting on like a nice cozy pair of slippers, you know. It's just so comfortable. It's I, I don't I, I don't want to say the word generic because that's wrong, and I think it sounds you know negative. But it's just like there's something like you just put it on, and you're like ah, this is just like this calming, cool sounding, awesome bluesy rock sound that I just love every time. Every time you you get into the first song from an old White Snake album, it's just, it's just it's cozy. It's but before it, but cozy it, was even in the band. <laughs> it was a, a good observation, though, um, that it it's very foreigner like. You know, you kind of I I couldn't place which song it made me think of, but I'm thinking of like you know urgent dun 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 dun. Sure, kind of kind of maybe has the same tempo to it or something. So it's like I, I don't feel it was. Uh, like a, a ripoff or like oh, a no, poor no. man's foreigner or something, but it's definitely like it would sit well with a song like that. You know, Bernie um, Marsden says, like as far as foreigner influence, he says he says he liked uh, feels like the first time, but he doesn't think any of the other guys in the band were even aware of foreigner at that point. So he he says he mm-hmm. doesn't think it was even an unconscious thing. It just kind of I don't know um, why it would have sounded that way. But to me, it's like foreigner, but like a like a less polished, grittier version mm. and of course right. coverdale's lyrics kind of almost almost negate that whole thing because it's just not foreigner at all the way he sings um, yeah. but, but musically i could see where i could see where that's coming from um, well yeah but, musically yeah musically but what do you think of come and get it i'll give come and get it a 3.5 um i think um it's um there's a lot to enjoy about it obviously um but i really feel like it's um it sounds like a really like paced tempo like pun really intended. measured tempo yeah <laughs> actually pun pun not intended um no it sounds like a very measured type of tempo kind of like if they played this live it would probably be a lot faster like a lot looser like it just sounds like they're like okay we're going to we're going to go at this really kind of like slow and um, intentional tempo. And it was like, it was like almost a little um, too, maybe too studio ish for me. I don't know um, if, if that's um, if that makes any sense. Um, I think that it, it could have like uh, maybe benefited from sounding a little more uh, spontaneous to having more energy, especially for an album opener. But um, that being said, it's not bad. Uh, those are just some critical, couple of critical observations. That's all. All right. I, I'll give it a four. I, I really, I dig it. I think it's a good, good opener. Good. Uh, I can, I can see what you're saying about the energy, but I, I think it's, it, 
I think it fits in with the whole white snake thing. They're they're not they're not usually coming in with like a face melter on the opener. It's just usually a a solid rocker like this one, and I enjoy it. Mm. Um, but that being said, uh, it's on to the next song, which is called Hot Stuff. I'm ready for you. <laughs> It's a weird, like, shuffling sort of aggressive beat here. Yeah, that's what this is what I'm talking about. A little faster paced. And I think that's Bernie backing him up. Sounds really good. So, um, the first track, Come and Get It, was written by Coverdale. This is a Coverdale and Moody. Coverdale and Moody joint. Joint. Incredible driving baseline by Murray, and I love Bernie's backing vocals on this. Assuming that's him and not Mickey. Sounds like. I mean, if it is, you figure like (laughs) Bernie Marsden is like the Michael Anthony of White Snake. Yeah. Wow. That was like a very yeah. purplish sounding uh, John Lord getting a little love. Yep. Sounds like that guy that plays uh, keys in Deep Purple. Yeah, that was that was a breath of fresh air right there. I feel like where we are in the catalog with Deep Purple, you're not getting a ton of John Lord solos, and with White Snake, you generally don't too. But that was that was an awesome, mm-hmm. great organ solo. Love it. He's wandering around at midnight looking for a little hot stuff. That horny bastard. <laughs> hey, who isn't? <laughs> Let those of us who aren't doing that be the first to cast the stone. I like how they rake the strings in the chorus, so I always thought that was really cool. Panting grunts at the end. <sighs> you know, <laughs> it makes you it know even the, more depraved. <laughs> <laughs> he does that a lot at the end of uh, his White Snake songs. Yeah, and he's just he, like he it ends, and he's just that, like. Yeah. <sighs> <sighs> well, when you, when you see him sing live, like, like, like even. 
like the first time I think I ever saw him sing live was California Jam and just, uh, you know, not in person, obviously, but, but you see him deliver those lines and then like, like afterwards he's like, he's like, he's, he's like gasping for breath. Like he, he puts everything he has into it and you, you got to mm. really admire like the energy he puts behind it. Like, I can't think of any other singer that looks so pained when they sing like afterwards, like he's just like, everything is going into it. All right. What do you think of hot stuff? Oh, hot stuff. He gets a four from me. Four hot it's a ones. Four from your, four, a four from your boy. Four <laughs> flames. Four flames from your boy. Um, yeah, I, I don't know why I'm talking like a rapper during our White Snake episode. Oh, no, John, that's not um, talking like a rapper. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, sorry to break it to you, but. Uh, hot stuff. Anyway. Gets a four. From your boy. Yeah, hot stuff gets a four. Um, yeah, and it's um <laughs> no, it's a great, it's a I it's a great song. I love this one. It's like um I like I think the order of it on the album is good too, because you figure like I, I feel like you would probably be like, oh, this is probably one you would have wanted to open the album, and and you would think so, but I, I like it because the first song is a little more mellow rocker, and then this one like kicks it up a notch. Um you have a, there are a lot of um I feel like the the song is like has a kind of a classic Coverdale melody going through it. Like when I hear it, I'm like, yeah, you could tell that's a Coverdale song just by hearing previous White Snake albums and even going back to like his solo albums. Like that's what I kind of measure it on. Um, him as a songwriter is like, okay, when he did his solo album, I can finally flesh out what his kind of songwriting um is like mm-hmm. so the melody is very coverdale and there are a lot of purple elements in it too obviously but i mean they're they're very obvious sounding like of course ian pace gets some some time in there the 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 drum fills the brace yeah. which were really cool uh, we get a john we get a john lord solo when you were just like wow this sounds really purple and then all of a sudden it goes into a john <laughs> yeah. lord solo and you're like yep um and then the way they ended the song too was very it it sounded very come taste the band mm-hmm. when they go um it i mean obviously you like you have three of the same musicians that were on come taste the band but it was almost um, like the the end of um i don't know what song it was like love child or something like that where they they ended the song basically the same way it was kind of like mm-hmm. you know and it almost sounded like that mm-hmm. um so that was kind of a couple of cool purple elements in there that were really obvious that elevated the song. The only thing I didn't like, which I don't in most white snake songs was, is it just sounded like John Lord's organ could have had more balls to it. Yeah. It was a great solo, but it's just like his, his white snake stuff just wasn't recorded with enough punch. I I think just funny. Cause it's the same guy recording it. Yeah. And that's what really is, odd to me it's not mm-hmm. like they went with somebody that they never worked with or i don't know maybe it was intentional but it yeah, just, i mean it must um, have been it have I mean, it's, it's intentional that he doesn't get as many solos so i mean it, that could have been part of it too that they didn't want it to sound quite that way or maybe they were trying to d- differentiate they you know they're like well god we got three of the guys from deep purple in this band we don't want to be accused of having that deep purple sound we want to branch out and make our own name for ourselves which i think they did a good job of and uh, Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you would have to be a very discerning listener as we are to pick those elements out. I don't think a casual fan would be like, oh, that sounds too much like 
Mark four, you know, yeah. like, I don't think like, we would have picked it out if we weren't like, you know, listening to it in this way too. You know, right. like every time I've listened to this album, it's been on in the background while I'm doing other things and I just sat down and listened to it while I'm recording a show about it. So right. you, you tend to look at it a little differently. Um, I will also give this one a four um, for all the reasons you mentioned. I think it's a great, I, I think it's cool. It's a nice trick when you open with a rocker and then you, you can get either, you can go a few ways. You can bring it down. You can go with, you can keep it the same tempo or you can kick it up a notch and kicking it up a notch is, is a rare move. But I think when it's done well, it's, it's, it's really effective. And this is a situation where it's done well. Oh yeah. All right. Well, here we go. The next track up. Don't break my heart again. Coverdale says this is about his daughter, his daughter Jessica. So, hmm. this kind of style is is a White Snake style I really love. Almost has that, almost has that survivor type of. Like a montage yep. where somebody's working out, hitting a heavy bag, <laughs> which I love. I think is great, and I love how the White Snake songs like this build up. So just his daughter only would have been, I don't know, six, seven, eight when this was written. So I don't mm-hmm. know what she did to break his heart. <laughs> Do some pull ups. <laughs> I mean, what did she do? Did she not clean her room? Like, why is his heart so broken? <laughs> But I think it's maybe it's she great. ran away from home. Yeah, maybe just misses her. Um, but it's very interesting to you know write a song. It could be interpreted as like a love song, but it's a, so- a song about his daughter, which is cool. So I'm like actually reading through the lyrics, and I'm like, there's nothing overtly. It's not. It's not a typical dirty white snake love song. <laughs> <laughs> a dirty white snake song. This is, but it's like that triumphant, like we're, I'm, I'm gonna work hard for this love. Hit the heavy bag. It's a nice, dirty riff. Yeah. And the guitar really cuts through in this one, too. Nice melodic solo. 
Yeah, perfect for this song. Was this a song that Whitesnake ever did again? What, this? Yeah. Because you know they're no. always recycling songs. There might there might be one that's... I feel like it's just a really familiar sounding song, yeah. but I don't think that they did. I mean, I know it from I this... I know they didn't do this one. I know it well from this album, but I just wonder, like, it, it seems to me like one of the ones that would have been ripe for the picking to redo and, you know... 89 or something. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it just sounds so like such a familiar montage type of song. I think that that's probably where you're getting that from. Yeah, it could be. All right. So what do you think of Don't Break My Heart Again? Mm, I'm going to give it a four. All right. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's really, it's really good. I like the way that it, it's one of those songs that builds to a certain place and it doesn't, it just kind of stays there. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really, it's like, uh, it's simmering, it's simmering under the surface. Um, and it's got some really good crunchy guitar. It's, um, it's got a good, like kind of, um, like when a song does that, um, it's, um, it's got that tension in it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, it's, yeah, I think it's like a really good, um, I like it for the fact that it does, it does sound like a good, like theme song, like a montage type song. And that's, uh, around this era, I mean, a good montage song, what's not to love about it. So yeah, great, great white snake song. I will give it a 4.5. I, um, just really, I really dig it. I love the melodic solo. I love the do 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 like the, all those little like unison things that they're doing. The the backing vocals while he's singing. It's just like it's all. It's just very very well crafted. Um, really cool stuff. All right, so that leads us up to the next track, which is of course "Lonely Days, Lonely Nights." Nice little sleazy little blues riff here. Kind of a mistreated vibe. They're doing a lot of that trick where they like, I don't know if it's a trick, but there's something about the way that Coverdale delivers the first line in all of these songs so far. That's just... It's like it's like that song. I love the blues. <laughs> For some reason, it always amuses me. And it's got that same delivery on all of these songs so far. Where he, I, I don't can't put my finger on it, but I love the way he just comes in with that first line. <laughs> yeah. Classic, uh, classic Coverdale lyrics here. I've heard all the wisdom of prophets and seers. As his gypsy lyrics. Yep. 
imagine being able to sing like Coverdale in this era, like. Yeah, we never could. Murray's bass behind <laughs> you just snarling through a all these great little fills he's doing. Strong mistreated vibes now, but yet it doesn't sound anything like mistreated, really. Right. But it just it, it gets that feeling. So it ah, kind of sounds a little bit like the end there. If you had that chorus going. And now the unison goes, okay, I take it back. It sounds a lot like mistreated. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very richy right there. Like I felt like it just had the vibe and now it's kind of going through a lot of the motions. I mean, honestly, not in a bad way. This no. is really enjoyable. And not in a derivative way either. It's not... Well, you know, you talk about how Richie always likes to recycle songs. Mm-hmm. Like, here's my first crack at whatever, and then he right. does it again. Not even recycle. It's, like, like, it's like an upgrade. It's like, oh, I'm going to do that, the ver- the sequel to that. I'm going to try to hit all the same marks and make it a little better. I sometimes feel it's like, a little you know, better, sometimes not. This, this kind of song is in Coverdale's wheelhouse, so obviously he's going to write another mistreated style song or two. Yep. Think, think Weird Al, right? The a song in the style of. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> That's what it feels like. So you enjoy it without saying like, "Oh, this is a complete rip." Also, it's okay to rip off your own stuff. Right. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> it's not. In fact, it wouldn't even be called ripping off. Everybody rips off everybody. Yeah, and if you can't rip off yourself, who can you rip off? All right, John. Little Richard. I don't know. <laughs> Chuck Berry. Rip it off. Isn't um, that a uh, isn't that a White Snake album? Rip it off. Slip it off. <laughs> slide it off. <laughs> rip oh it and willing. All right. What do you think of Rip it uh, and willing? <laughs> rip it. <laughs> what do you think of a Lonely Days and Lonely Nights? Rip it off. That's Coverdale going down a dark road. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, let me see. So Lonely Days, Lonely Nights. Um, you know what? I'll I'll give it a 3.5. Uh, I definitely enjoyed it. Definitely gave mistreated vibes, of mm-hmm. course. Um it was um I, I think that's that's a good middle of the pack rating. Yeah, it, it almost bordered on almost bordered on filler, but not really, because I was grooving to it and enjoying it. So I'm going to take it in a different direction. I'm going to give it a 4.5. I really, oh, you, I, I love that one-two punch of uh, of Don't Break My Heart Again and Lonely Days, Lonely Nights. I think uh, it captures a lot of, while it's a different style song, it captures a lot of that same feeling, I think, carrying over from Don't Break My Heart Again. So far, <clears throat> to me, mm-hmm. this is this is a really strong opening side to an album. Um, as evidenced by my ratings. Um, I, I think it's just like, you know, I'm just digging it 
I'm digging it a lot. Like really, mm-hmm. really love the those the, the last two songs in particular. So we will have to see what happens when we get to the next song, which is the last song on the uh, first side of the album, and that is Wine, Women, and Song. Three of his favorite things. Yep. <laughs> It'd be like it's an almost like an elf song. It's just a <laughs> you gotta love that I mean you could see the line coming from a mile away but it's just it, it, when it's such a great payoff when he actually delivers it <laughs> oh me and the boys are gonna tell you about it so if Scott was on this show that uh, Scott Beach and our friend Scott uh, from from back home he this would lose points for being about the boys <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely like every he's definitely pushing the cheese factor on these lyrics. Yeah, he's pulling it all out here. Yeah, slipping it out. (laughs) So those last two songs were Coverdale solo joints. And this one is uh, written by all six members of the band. All right. So obviously just some sort of blues uh, jam they probably had. And this is David, Bernie, and Mickey doing backing vocals. And as it's credited in the liner notes, the three-piece suite. <laughs> Ow! Underrated move to say look out before a guitar solo. <laughs> yeah, some great delay on this solo. So this must be Mickey and Bernie trading off. we get it yeah it's going on a little long for me a little bit teensy bit long 
All right. Wine, women, and song. John, what say you? I say... I say... <laughs> three... 3.5. Um... Um, I'll, um, yeah, I, I have to, I have to deduct some points, uh, <laughs> for the, for the cheesy, stinky lyrics. <laughs> uh, they're a little on the nose. Yeah. Um, th- this is, um, I mean, the music is great and I do love the chorus. It's like one of those, you know mm-hmm. what it's trying to be like is the, um, I, I compare songs like this to the, uh, kisses, let me go rock and roll. It's it's one of those songs where it's like okay this is like our this is our like our obvious party song yeah uh, just pick whatever band has one of those and you're like okay this is like the loose sounding like woo we're partying in the studio type of song <laughs> yeah. and that's that's what this is mm-hmm. um, kind of the yeah about the rock and roll lifestyle and kiss my ass and all that stuff so mm-hmm. it's like yeah that's kind of kind of a little like mm, but i mean i enjoyed the music and the chorus and the guitar solos which i thought were were played really well and i liked the i liked the way that they uh i liked the um the the tone and the effects that they used on them i thought it was good good dueling guitars um and i had to also deduct a little bit for the very long fade out <laughs> could have faded out a lot sooner i think so but still good good stuff what was this 345 it could have been closer to three uh there wasn't mm. they weren't breaking a lot of new ground after three minutes but i will also give it a 3.5 i loved it when he said you can kiss my ass even though it's like you could see it coming from like 10 seconds prior <laughs> but i was oh, just yeah. like but for some reason when he said it like yeah i was like it was like it paid off <laughs> and um but uh you know the rock and roll over you eh, i could have dealt without that one um yeah and just generally you know the how many points would you have deducted if at the end of it there would have been like people in the studio clapping. So I would have given it a three. <laughs> yeah, it's <this laughs> one of your least favorite tropes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but it is, it is a fun, it's an upbeat song. It's like very, it's borders on lazy blue song territory, but they, they bring enough energy to it that it's a lot of fun. And um, yeah, I can't, I can't really fault it for that. Um, so uh, before we s- Flip over this cassette this time. Um, before we, we sli- have to before we, we slide it into before we slide two. it out, flip it over and slide it back in. We have to thank our core level patrons coming in at the seven dollars seventy seven cent keep it warm rat tier. We have Michael Vader at the episode six dollars sixty six cent tier. We have Steve Coldwell, Arthur Smith, Anton Glaving, and Mike Catan at the six dollars sixty five cent almost evil tier. We have Kenny Wymore. At the $5.99 nice price tier, we have Fielding Fowler, Robert Smith, and Peter from Illinois. And at the $5 money lender tier, we have John Convery, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Jesper Alman, Alexi the Perfect Stranger Slepikoff, James North, Mark Hodgetts, Kev Roberts and his wonderful children, Will Porter, Zwopper the Electric Alchemist, and Tim Southern Cross Johnson. Thank you so much to all of you for your generous and continued support of the Deep Purple Podcast. All right, I got the cassette out. I'm putting I'm flipping it over, putting it back in the back in the deck here. Sliding it back in the deck. Sliding it back in, so slipping it out and sliding it in. And we've got um we go from the very upbeat and happy sounding wine women and song to a more serious sounding child of Babylon. You get the wind sound effects, yeah, you know you know what kind of song you're in for. 
and it's really weird because I'm like, okay, what are they doing? Like, like rainbow now? I know, right? Give me a two minute synthesizer intro. And this is written by Coverdale and Marsden. I gotta say, Neil Murray elevates every single one of these songs with his bass lines. I will not disagree with you, sir. It just makes it so much more interesting. Well, because you're listening to these songs and you just hear... And you're like, that's that's pretty awesome. Hey, Neil, you maybe want to dial it back? Nope. <laughs> no, th- thanks for the uh, thanks for the suggestion. See, this part right here makes me think of um, something from one of his first solo albums, and I can't remember which song it was. Mm-hmm. So Marsden said he worked very closely with John Lord on this one. He explained to John Lord the kind of sound he was looking for, and he helped him achieve it. And um, in Martin Popoff's book here, Marsden, not surprisingly, talks very positively about John Lord. There's only one person I've heard not talk positively about him. John Lord, he was a nice guy. He's a nice guy from what I hear. But he said he was very gracious and that he said John should get writing credits for the song. And John said, no, this, he said, I wouldn't have come up with this if it wasn't for your ideas. Shows what a mensch John Lord was. Oh, you know what? Maybe is it, um, is it Blind Man? It could be. I have to go back and listen. But it's a part we go. Yep, could be. Sounds so good singing together. I got my copy of Chess, uh, Bernie Marsden's Chess album back there somewhere. But it's just astonishing. He sounds exactly the same. <laughs> like his voice is exactly the same. He's another guy that just didn't miss a step.
they tease you like they're not going to resolve it at the end. And But they do. That's Child of Babylon. What do you think, John? Hmm. You know what? I'm I'm sitting here thinking about it, and uh, I think I'd have to give it a four. Okay. Even though it sounded like I didn't like it at first, so I'll explain. You it's did? like when I was when I was like, oh, what is this? A rainbow song? That's what I thought when I first saw the title or whatever, Gates well, of yeah, Babylon just, yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, right, I thought, right. oh, okay, is this going to try and be some kind of like rainbowish type of song? But um, I, I think that that like title alone is where it, the kind of the comparison ends because mm-hmm. there's nothing disingenuous about the song. Like it doesn't sound like, even though it's a different from what we just heard, like the um, like hot stuff or wine women and song, that kind of thing. It's like, it still sounds like a white snake song for some reason. And like, I think that uh, Coverdale's lyrics kind of like the, the, the party lyrics and like the, you know, man at the crossroads or type of thing. It's like, it all kind of fits into the same mold. So I think that that's what makes it work. Plus the fact that he is using like a lot of um, the same melodies and stuff. There's that, there's that part in there, which really reminds me of something of on one of his first two solo albums, which I really like that. Mm -hmm it kind of still shows up because that's something you really lose when you get to later white snake. Yeah. Yeah. Is, um, totally. Like the, the 87 stuff and beyond is you don't hear that as much. So, um, it's, um, I think it's really good. There's a lot of dynamics in the song. Um, like you said, the, the vocal melodies are just, you know, these guys sing really great together. Um, yeah, it's just a really, it's a good song, and it's kind of a different song for them because it's almost kind of like you're like, ooh, Gates of Babylon or Child of Babylon or whatever that is. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm talking about. Child of Babylon. Like, what kind of what kind of serious shit is this? Like, mm-hmm. so. You can tell just by the name of the song. You're like, okay, this is not going to be wine, women, and song. This is going to be a little more serious. We're talking about Yeah, he's Babylon not going to be talking here. about, like, panties and <laughs> prowling the street at midnight. Trying to. <laughs> Finding some prehistoric <laughs> woman that he can <laughs> seduce. <laughs> like he's like, and I got in my time machine. <laughs> he's like, it's like a, That's he's a time traveling sex time song. <laughs> I, so he can go back and get prehistoric I, sex. I always think of um, that Brian <laughs> Regan bit where he's talking about um, uh, what what is what's the um, show Antiques Roadshow. Yeah, you, you remember that one where he's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, he's like, he break, he like, he talks about these like dumb people that walk into antiques road and He's like, I found this spatula in my drawer. And he's like, and I was really hard. I couldn't open my drawer. And he's like, and it's really old. So I was thinking maybe it's from Babylon. <laughs> Whenever I hear Babylon, I always think of, of that, the dumb guy on, a, on a Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> it was from Babylon. He, he thought Spatula was from Babylon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it gets me. Oh, I forgot about that. That was a good one. I will also give this one a four. Um, great, uh, nice, uh, different opener to the second side, but I love how they're kind of they ended on this party song and then they kind of change it more serious. So it's a, it's I think it's so far the sequencing I think on this album has been pretty strong. Um, mm-hmm. 
Okay, and that brings us to the next track on the second side. Would I lie to you? Would you? I wouldn't. If you want it. And then we're back. Exactly. He's like, enough of that Babylon bullshit. We're going back to <laughs> some rockers. I'm back to prowling the streets all horny like a tomcat. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's not just Coverdale. It's not just Coverdale singing. And this is written by Coverdale, Moody, and Marsden. Hmm. Coverdale says this song was... The song title was from a pin a female fan of the band had given him in Southampton, so I guess it said, would I lie to you on it? Nice. A judicious use of the cowbell. That was conjuring up the end of one of the songs is it something on Stormbringer maybe I can't think of it with this going on but (laughs) satin sheets (laughs) I think it's highball shooter I'm thinking of that little cowbell thing Oh, that's true, because Pace didn't really use the cowbell too much. I mean, let's put aside You Fool No One. That's a given. Highball shooter all the way. The end of highball shooter. <laughs> Did you hear him? What I lie to you to get in your pants? <laughs> Did he say that? Yeah, oh, man. I was thinking of highball shooter and I missed it. <laughs> it's like what I lie to you, and he's like to get in your pants. <laughs> <laughs> I think he might say it again toward the end. So yeah, I'm sorry I buried that one for my stupid commentary. <laughs> Gotta stop talking over the songs. Oh, he's hitting those like full chords on the on the bass. This part is like gives me like kind of like Aerosmith vibes a little sure. bit. It's kind of different. So which one of the other guys uh, usually sings with Coverdale, Moody or Marsden? I think it's Marsden? usually Marsden. I mean, all three of them do, but I think Mar- Marsden, like, syncs up with them kind of Hughes style a little bit more often. Because I feel like it's Coverdale and, like, one or both of the other guys just singing all the way through this, which is, like, to a great effect. Yeah, it could be all three of them. And you could hear John Lord in the background like, 
<laughs> That's what I think he's doing. Like, <laughs> you think he looks like the piano player from like uh, King Herod? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, it's like, you sure ripped the low ones off me. Like, you expect him to go into that when he's hitting the cowbell. But yeah. <laughs> oh. But fun song. Uh, what do you think of. Um, it is. What do you think of Would I Lie to You? Which apparently, oh, like- so uh, a pop off book, he, he said he was interviewing Glenn Murray and he asked if there was like. Um, <clears throat> if Coverdale's one track mind sort of <laughs> lyric approach ever got on the rest of the band. And Murray says, yes. And you know, there's that stubborn mentality that if you criticize him, he'll probably do it even more just to annoy you. <laughs> so, so they pretty much didn't like, if he's like, Oh, we're writing another song about wanting to have sex with a lady. Like we're not even going to bring it up. Cause if we do, instead of having eight songs on a 10 track album, there'd be like 10, 10 out of 10. So. He's like, yeah, you know, child of Babylon gone. <laughs> Exactly. Now it's gonna be. So we're gonna, it's gonna cut be, that one. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm gonna change it, and it's gonna be hot broads of Babylon or something like that. Like, <laughs> well, is that that famous line he said? I probably didn't. I don't know if he said it at the time, but like it was an interview about. Um, I think it was about Burn, where where Richie was saying you wanted him to write like a song about a witch, and 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 Coverdale says like I don't know how to write a song about a witch. I've never fucked one. <laughs> You know what I mean? So like, it's kind of that thing. Like he's writing what he knows, and he loves to write like songs about love and well, love, love in quotes. But you know, songs about love, love and stuff like that. Like not so much like the the swords and sorcery stuff that Richie really wanted. That direction that he humping. really wanted to go in. Um, Wants to write songs about humping, humping, <laughs> humping, porking. <laughs> Por- porking. <laughs> That, I'm, I'm bringing it back, baby. That doesn't get used enough these days. Oh my god! It's like, yeah, and then yeah, and then he porked. The- <laughs> That's so sleazy. It really is. It's the worst. Um, okay, what, what, how do you rank? Would I lie to you? Oh, I have to calm down for a minute here. Wait a minute. <laughs> Porking, porkies. Um, um, would I lie to you? Um, oh, that's that's getting a solid four for me. Um, four from Matola. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, I mean, it's got a great groove to it. I love how, and I never really noticed until we started doing the White Snake albums that it's not just Coverdale singing. Like I always thought, oh, maybe he doubled his vocals or whatever, but I never really knew that uh, one or uh, both of the other guys sang with him. So I kind of like how he is sharing the the vocal duties uh for the good of the song um and then there's that kind of breakdown in the middle which i said sounds really like kind of classic aerosmith for mm-hmm. some reason where like he hits the bass note and then it goes da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. it's like something like that about uh about that was really again like there's a lot of things on this that i i can't place where i know it from but i know who it sounds like um and then i mean come on you got to you got to give him that it, to get in your pants <laughs> i mean that's 
that's just so cheeky. Yeah, I love it, it. and it's it's yeah, it completes the sentence that doesn't need to be completed. Like we all know, <laughs> <laughs> we're like, what's he what's he lying to her about? I don't understand. Just in case you didn't know, I'm gonna tell you. What is the <laughs> reason does. behind the lies? I must know. There's got to be some ulterior motive. Um, I will also give it a four um, for pretty much everything we we um, outlined. It's just a great. I think this album, you know, Child ba- Child of Babylon aside, is just a lot of fun. And not that there's anything wrong with Child of Babylon. We both loved it, but um, it's the only song that's not like fun. But right. all, the rest of the album just has a real fun energy to it that it's hard not to like. Mm, yeah, I agree. All right, now we go to this. The next track is the song "Girl." Um, there's a song by the Beatles called "Girl," which is one of our friend Paul's least favorite Beatles songs because uh, he just because they just say. Because John Lennon just says girl and he goes, he takes this big inhale. <laughs> Paul hates it so much. <laughs> Every time I hear that song, I just think of how much Paul would hate it if he was uh, with me. Um, but this is not the Beatles version. This is the White Snake version of Girl. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Kind of like a little bit of a love child type of a groove to it. Doing a little Lord percussive style organ there too. This is a Coverdale, Coverdale Marsden and Murray written song. You want your business fixed. <laughs> business. Lord's keys on this are top shelf. I think there was some... I think I read in the book that they were going to call the song... Crazy little, a pretty little crazy white girl, but they just went with girl instead. Nice. So this was, Murray wrote the riff on this one, and Coverdale said Murray was kind of coming from like a fusion perspective. Like, was a, like Murray does have that kind of like jazz fusiony background. Mm-hmm. Marsden said it was about a girl they saw on the side of the road. Nothing more about it. I'm like, I'm like, what was what was so special about this girl? I mean, besides the fact that maybe Coverdale wanted to pork Roger her, her or pork her. <laughs> Coverdale says most of the songs are about his old lady. <laughs> his old lady. You know. <laughs> What woman doesn't love to be referred to that way? I could see this track being on like Stormbringer or Come Taste the Band. Mm-hmm. Like the little echo, the little re- reverb they put on Coverdale's voice at the very end of that line 
except uh, Richie would say, "Could you could you make the girl a witch?" <laughs> In this pretty, pretty little crazy white witch. The song would be called <laughs> Witch. <laughs> Love that bass slide after girl. And they go right back into it. It's great because I could see how that could have taken a fusion <clears throat> type direction, but it really doesn't. It just has a straight like r- funk rock to it. That's mm-hmm. just really, really, I mean, right up my alley. Um, yes. It won't surprise you or any listeners to the show. Um, <clears throat> what do you think of Girl? Um, uh, I'm going to... I think I'm I'm gonna have to I'm trying to think I'm gonna have to give it another uh, a solid four here a strong four strong four from yeah John. yeah it's uh, I mean I'm I'm like oh boy am I hand like you know what I mean when I start handing out too many good ratings I'm just kind of like is this too much and I don't know why yeah. I'm like that but you just gotta roll with um, it man just go with what you feel yeah so I'm and I'm trying to think of why why do I feel like that and it's because none of these songs on here are really a rip roaring high energy songs. Um, it, it's just the, it, they're just good. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's, there's like, um, there, there were just like little inflections in the song. I mean, the song's got a good groove to it. Um, the, the, the chorus with all the, the, the gang vocals, <clears throat> that little bass line after when they go, girl, boom, dun, 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 dun. you know, it's, it's really like, you could picture like, you know, Hughes on this kind of slapping that bass and yep. he, even him singing on it. Um, so yeah, just another, another solid song. Like you said, another one that's a lot of fun, mm-hmm. which I think is a theme for this album, except for uh, the, the way to Babylon or I can't, Child of Babylon, Jesus. I'm going to keep screwing this up. Rivers of Babylon, <laughs> Gates of Babylon, Child of Babylon. It's always some the spatula of Babylon. <laughs> the spatula <laughs> of Babylon. Sorry. <laughs> um I will I will give this one a 4.5 just because it just it scratches a lot of itches that I have. Love the um just love John Lord's keyboards on this are just top flight and he's it's not like he's doing anything crazy it's all very subtle and in the background to serve the song and he's a master but everything he's doing on the song is 100 percent perfect in my in my opinion um mm. love it I, I love i love the song it's, it's great and i think when you you know it, for for if there's anything listeners of our show can get out of it and you know a lot of our listeners are you know, much better verse than we are and, and maybe followed White Snake, especially like the UK listeners, followed White Snake 
on their initial run. But I know a lot of our younger listeners and a lot of more of our U.S. listeners aren't really as familiar with the pre-1987 Whitesnake. So if there's anything I hope that folks could get out of our show, it's this appreciation of early Whitesnake and what they're all about. And this this is one of those songs that, while it's maybe not typical of 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 the, the early white snake style. It's a great example of something that white snake early white snake can bring that you, you wouldn't expect if you, all you knew was, you know, here I go again, or the, the 87 right. version or, or, or beyond. So with that being said, the second to last track on the album is a song called hit and run. And of course, wait, it's not hit and run. It's hit and run. Hitting you in early with that riff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really like this. I haven't heard this in a while. I mean, what a great line about saying all these songs are about his wife. <laughs> like, what a lie. <laughs> it really is. Would I lie to you? I refer you back to that song. <laughs> you get in your pants. Open He's already the sealed box. the deal. I forgot he brought back the talkbacks on this one. I don't think I don't has he used this since like Day Tripper? I don't know. I don't think so. Or yeah, at least from that lot. album. hate to keep bringing up deep purple references but this this is another one that the riff would sound right on home on Stormringer come taste the band mm-hmm. not so much burn it would have to be either late mark three late <laughs> or mark four
Let's hit and run, John. What do you think of that one? There was, was a song that for song you. Was a, that, that's a song for me. <laughs> <laughs> that was a hit and run. That was a song for you. Yeah, that was um, that was really great. Um, another another four for me. Solid four coming in from John. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah, great song. I love the I love the way that the verses kind of cut out. It was just him and the guitar mm-hmm. and drums, and then they kind of kicked into the into the chorus, and it just really grooved. Um, yeah, just awesome song. All right, I will give it another four point five. I'm really dishing out these four point five. I must must be in just a great mood today. Must be all, yeah, you are. Almost be all the wine, women, and song. Um, yeah, just a, just a great one. Love the riff, love the vocals, like, you know, even the, even the lyrics. It's like, the lyrics, it's like one of those things where they're almost like kind of cheesy. Like, I want a heartbreaker, love maker, soul shaker, and it's like, it's like all right, fine, but like it just it just grooves with that song so well. Um, just love that riff. I think it's a great one. Fantastic track from early White Snake. This might have to be my go-to album that kind of people want to get a good, you know, I know ready and willing has a probably a higher um, or a better reputation with for early white snake lovers. But <clears throat> for me, so I want to say so far, we're nine out of 10 tracks, but I, I think this might be the one that I would steer people to, to, to get a really good sense of that or the early band. If I had to recommend something so far. Mm-hmm. All right. And that being said on to the final track, Side two, till the day I die. An acoustic guitar, oh my goodness. Marson says this was the peak of David's songwriting this song Hmm. this song yep this is a Coverdale Hmm. solo song ice cold winds of winter chilled to the bone thoughts of summer breezes like those strings in the background on probably Lord doing them but when it's more than I can bear shoulder I can cry on Someone will lead me there Give me love Give me love Give me love Till the day I die Till the day I die Yeah, that sounds like a little kind of like um, Blind Faith that song can't find my way home. I think so. It's been a while since I heard any blind faith. He says to the weaver's plan for me. Sorry, I interrupted the kick in there. 
I don't know what he means by that. Weavers is capitalized. Hmm. I'm sure one of our clever listeners will tell me what I'm missing there. Just when you thought you weren't going to get any more Murray blistering bass lines. Got one more uh, for you. You were you were dead wrong. Here's a bass line for you. Till the day I die, close out the album. Mm. All right, John, what do you think of that one? Uh, I'll give that one a three. Um, um, I don't know if it was the strongest way to end the album. Um, definitely, he was doing trying to do some different kind of songwriting in there. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know if it was as um, successful as Child of Babylon. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> I just Sorry. fucked that up. Sorry, that was a. John's having some problems with his cough switch, so I don't. I don't know what it's gonna f- sound like on the final thing, but when he when he puts his cough switch on, I can still sort of hear it. It's just quieter. It's a cough dampener <laughs> at this point. So we yeah, don't. But, yeah, but the problem is, is that I turned it back on while I was at the end of my cough, so you just heard like. Here's <laughs> the tail end of it. Um, you didn't get the attack, yeah, just the release of the cough. <laughs> um, yeah, I probably should have tried to wait until I was done talking, but. Um, yeah, this this song didn't really hit me as much. I feel like I feel like it was kind of filler. Um you know what I mean? Nothing about it really jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I mean, so you're looking at an album that's a little over 40 minutes and I th- I, th- I think when we're getting to these it's pretty typical by this point when we started like the early 
Deep Purple's like seven songs was a pretty consistent thing on an album. And then it got moved up to eight and nine. And mm-hmm. now 10 is pretty often the case with Whitesnake songs. It's one of those things where I, I think you could have killed two songs on this album and still been okay. And if I had to pick two, it would probably be this, the the closers of side one and side two. Um, Wine, Women, and Song until the day I die. I mean, they're good songs, so it's not the album doesn't lose anything from having them. But I think we we'll see this much in much. Uh, it's much more detrimental when we get into the CD era, and you have to have twelve, fourteen songs on an album sometimes, mm-hmm. and you, you get to the point where there are great albums which have seventeen songs all solid, but for the most part, there's going to be a lot of filler, and I wouldn't put your filler at the end of the album necessarily but i will give this one i'll give it a 3.5 on the strength of when it the 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 rock comes in and the and the john lord solo i think is great uh but kind of mirroring uh the 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 first side and ending with a 3.5 um yeah that's kind of where i oh no no i'm sorry i gave uh yeah i gave wine women and song a 3.52 okay yeah so that's kind of where i stand it looks like i my my ratings for the the sides are almost identical 4 4 4.5 4.5 and a 3.5 on both sides uh, which is interesting mm-hmm. that the, that sequence stayed the same um but yeah that is um that is white snakes come and get it um while john tabulates the results and sees where this album stacks up in the pantheon of albums that we have discussed i will of course move on and do something very important which is to thank our foundation level patrons coming in at the three dollar and 33 cent halfway to evil tier we have raf calf at the three dollar nobody's perfect tier we have peter gardo ian derosier mark roback We have, who else do we have? Duncan Leesk, Stuart McCord, Flight of the Rat Bat Blue Light, Ivan Fjeldboo. And Runar Siemensen. At the $1 made-up name tier, we have the peaking at number one in the Being Uncontained charts, Leaky Mausoleum, Stephen Somerville, the Concerto 1999 fanatic, Spike the Rock Cat, JJ Stenard, Hank the Tank, Private Eyes, and Ashen Lionel. Thank you so much for your generous support of the Deep Purple podcast. Um, I was watching the Winter Olympics with my wife last night, and um, anytime a Norwegian won, I was singing that, and she loved it. <laughs> The Good. old lady loved it. <laughs> the old lady. I'm sure Jen would appreciate that. Yes. Yeah. And get your old lady over here. She's like, what the, what, what the hell are you? Why do you keep doing that? <laughs> she's like, I, I know you've been doing this for a long time, but why are you doing that? And I told her, she's like, oh, yeah, right. I forgot. Totally uninterested. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, John, where does this album stack up in the um, in the database here? Hmm. So, um, very, very favorably, as you may expect, mm-hmm. um, the, the, upper, the upper mid um, combined 7.85 rating. Um, you rated it uh, almost a quarter higher than I did, 0.35 variance. Over a quarter. So you gave yeah. it a 4.1, I gave it a 3.75. One of our bigger variances. So, well, I mean, I liked a lot of songs, but you really liked a lot of songs. I did. So. I was feeling it. I was feeling it tonight. So um, f- 
funny enough that this comes in um, right. Uh, it, it ties Love Hunter, another white snake. It's a straight album. tie. Oh my goodness. Yep. And actually, wow. it's it's the, the funny thing about that is is my my rating for Love Hunter was a uh, total was three point eight five. So that's point one zero off from this rating and yours was a even four and on this one it was a four point one so another point one zero wow yeah so you and i uh liked um this album a little bit a little bit more um and it uh comes above accidentally on purpose <laughs> just by a little bit just by that same variance point one zero so it's um wow. it's uh keeping some good company Look at that. I feel the the albums like right in this area here are those kind of solid albums that we really enjoy. Um that we don't absolutely uh, obviously uh love all like um all the time as much as the ones that are up there, but this is the this is climbing the ladder up towards some of our favorites. So um there you go. Yeah, definitely fav- favorable ratings from us. And um, I'm actually kind of surprised because this is not an album that I go back to or revisit a lot. And um, yeah, it's um, it's definitely um, definitely not not surprised, but definitely like, I guess, happily, happily surprised that it rated so favorably for us. Sure. It was a good, good listen. Right. And if you want access to the rating sp- spreadsheet, you can do so by becoming a patron on Patreon or on PayPal for as little as $1 a month. Your entry level is to get access to our ratings spreadsheet and see um, what you're mad at us about or what you like or what you don't like. So check it out. So with that, uh, to close it up, um, uh, the wonderful York Planer, of course, sent us over a ton of information for this episode for which we are very grateful. Um, this album went straight to number two in the UK when it was released. Um, Coverdale said in interviews um, that uh, you know uh, they, they they were they were after five years they were starting to try to take a more American approach to their uh, music in the early eighties, and that's why maybe you hear, hear some of that old sort of slight foreigner influence, or I don't even know if you call it an influence, but trying to get more of that kind of pop sound. Uh, Mari says that between this album and Ready and Willing, uh, that this one is probably his favorite. But he kind of goes back and back and forth between them. And um, so far, Murray, I'm going to have to agree with you. Um, Martin Popoff has some kind of things to say about this album as far as uh, the, he, he doesn't care for the production um, and he doesn't care for Ian Pace's playing. And he, and he admit he says sacrilege, perhaps in utterance, but this one is utterly ruined by Martin Birch and Ian Pace, two nearly unassailable rock icons who should know better. So um, he says uh, that this this album seemed a little more stiff. I'm not really I can see where maybe the the, the, the production isn't as tight as before. And maybe it's from being in different surroundings and stuff. But uh, for me, both of them uh, are, are doing doing great on this album. Yeah, I, I disagree. I actually really enjoy Ian Pace's playing and drum sound. Yep, absolutely. On this song, uh, on this uh, album. Um, so here we got some uh, we got some reviews here. Um, so first up, let's see here. Do, 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 do. If I can find it, heck is it? I cannot find my window. What is going on here? Da, 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 da. Let's try this again. 
Uh, dead air. We love it. Here we go. Okay, so here's a review from um, Chart Song World. It says, Whitesnake's fifth album, or their seventh if you include the two David Coverdale uh, made solo artists before he got around to forming his dynamic band. Interestingly, this is the band's third LP with, within a year. It was only that long ago that Ready and Willing was released, and last autumn we also had the ex- excellent Live in the Heart of the City double album. The White Snake Machine seems to go on and on without losing any power or excitement and come and get it. As you've probably heard from Don't Break My Heart Again, their latest hit single doesn't let up the speed for a moment. In fact, there are several possible future hit 45s included on the album, like the title track and especially a pair of near epics in Child of Babylon and Till the Day I Die. If David Coverdale, uh, if Tever Gale, David Coverdale, not to mention Ian Gillen and Richie Blackmore, continue to make albums like this one, there just won't be any point in continuing discussions about Deep Purple reforming. Will there? Four stars. Mm. That's an interesting point. Like I think um, in Deep Purple breaking up, obviously you lost Deep Purple, but you got three solid, <laughs> solid lines of great music coming out. Which you know that's that's obviously I didn't shed a tear at the time because I was too young to care, but I I would have been pretty happy with all this stuff. While I was happy that they got back together, it's, it's pretty nice that we got all this great music. Mm -hmm. And I mean, um, yeah, I don't like, that just made me think about um, you, you have a lot of bands that break up or go their separate ways. And the solo acts are really kind of hit or miss, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, throughout the whole career of all the different people, that have been in and out of deep purple. I mean, how many misses have there really been? Well, think about it too. They, they all, I mean, Gillen was Gillen and Richie was Richie Blackmore's rainbow and Coverdale's white snake, but David Coverdale's white snake at one point, but they never were described themselves as being solo artists. They were always bands, you know, and granted right. we know who the, who was calling the shots in all of those bands and we knew who was, who was in charge, but there was songwriting wise and everything. It was still a collaborative effort and it was, they were still solid bands. And I think that's what made the difference. It wasn't just like somebody surrounding themselves with the yes men and doing whatever they wanted mm-hmm. to do. They still had a lot of, you know, a lot of that same band energy, which is, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another one. This one is from uh, Record Mirror. White Snake, come and get it. What do you mean? Do it less than 150 words? Don't you realize that this is the most important album of the last decade? Well, maybe not quite. But Coverdale has got a voice that only Plant or Paul Rogers could touch. Every bloody time, it socks me right in the guts, turning ordinary songs into masterpieces. White Snake are a timeless bunch of old codgers. Side one <laughs> pants and. Uh, Side one pants and groans through a bundle of potential singles, including the title track, although they're more restrained on side two. There's the mighty saga of the Child of Babylon, where Coverdale pours emotions all over the mixing desk. All that remains to be said is that White Snake, like status quo, provides solid, timeless entertainment. And what's wrong with that now and again? And then there's five little plus marks. So I don't know if that is just the ending thing or if that means they give gives it a five stars, but pretty. Well, it was definitely complimentary. So for sure. By Robin Smith there. And this is a long article, which I won't go through all. It's it's, um, by Sounds, and this one gives it uh, four stars. So um, maybe I'll put this in the show notes, uh, deeppurplepodcast.com. You can check it out if you want to read it, but obviously another favorable review. Um, White Snake's um, Medal for Swinging Mothers. (laughs) Um, This one doesn't give a star review. 
but starts off with wonderful, wonderful. Forget all that heavy metal when you're categorizing Whitesnake. Think instead of a hard-driving, precise rock band more akin to early Zeppelin. And then it mm. ends with... Coverdale's beefy vocals are improving all the time, and despite the pace of the album, his diction and wit is outstanding. There's no need to consult the sleeve notes to hear the words the first time around. That is true. He does do a really good job of that. So here it is, the LP that should elevate them near to the top of Division One. Superb musicianship, compact songs that should strike a chord in, everyone's, in everyone who's honest, and above all, that indefinable sound of confidence from a band that is not that has been gaining stature carefully for two years, no true fan of pure rock music should miss it. So, luckily there's no Rolling Stone review to bring us down so far. That one's a German review. Uh, this one's a non-English review. Not sure what language that is. Um, that's just a little announcement of the release. Is another German review. Um, uh, and then uh, we've got <laughs> now here we've got a little bit of a departure deep purple fades into banal white snake by mike diana come and get it white snake rated one star oof here we go Fuck this guy <laughs> John's already done with the release of its second album. White snake, better known as deep purple without the purple has done the impossible. The lads have managed to record 10 songs on their new release. Come and get it more banal than the ones that grace their debut effort. John Lord and Ian Pace are used to better. Their jaunt as purple members spanned the salad years of the band. David Coverdale joined the purples before the band's decline. He and Glenn Hughes were probably the best vocal tandem of the mid seventies. Lord Coverdale and Pace are wasted in this band. Coverdale seems to be the songwriter for White Snake, and it is his obvious weakness as well as the band's. His material is so boring that it requires a real effort to finish listening to side one without falling dead asleep. Guitarists Mickey Moody and Bernie Marsden save side one with some tasty solo work on Wine, Women, and Song. Original name for a song, isn't it? The side one finale, the twin guitar attacks, keeps one from snoring. Side two is a vast wasteland of Coverdale material. Coverdale's vocals are a are above reproach if not downright good he just isn't a hot rocking songwriter for white snake go to your favorite record store and pick up a copy of deep purple's burn album after listening to the title cut and you fool no one slip come and get it on your turntable judge for yourself seems that white snake never grew any fangs well i mean that that's kind of a it's kind of a short-sighted review i mean if you're comparing it to burn i mean it's not as good as burn yeah it's funny it's three uh three three out of five the same members but yeah it's a very um it's a very different album it's a different band well yeah exactly um all right so that's that and then um this is from the Logan's Port Pharaoh's Tribune. White Snake win top honors with Come and Get It. Easily the best rock album of the week. Maybe the only real rock and roll album of the week. The group born from the ashes of Deep Purple sports the heavy rock talents of David Coverdale, John Lord, and Ian Pace with Mickey Moody, Bernie Marsden, and Neil Murray. No lightweights themselves. The group, one of the best new rock bands of the 80s, debuted only last year, but this is the group's third album. After it's <laughs> Everyone's got a different tally on how many albums they have. After its debut was a smash hit, it came out less than six months later with a live album. This is a studio album number two, and it's a killer. Okay, they're they're getting everything wrong, but here you go. Would I Lie (laughs) to You and Girl Should Hit. So, very interesting. Uh, Mostly, obviously, very glowing reviews other than that one from the the Daily Press there. Who is that that guy again? Mike Diana. 
Get out of here with that. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here, Mike Diana. But um, Get out of here. But yeah, guys, that's Come and Get It. Great album. I had a blast listening to this one tonight. Um, um, really, really fun stuff. And give uh, Mike Diana the Malak. <laughs> that, that should show him. <laughs> All right. Well, John, that's Come and Get It. I'm going to come and get you next week when we record yet another episode of the Deep Purple Podcast. You All right. But until then, I'm going to go and go and leave it. Go, go and leave it. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I'll buy it. All right. You have a great night, my friend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. You know, apparently Snapchat thinks that I want to see ASMR like uh, with like popping people's pimples. Ugh. People like really love that. I don't get it. I mean, it. I have to admit, when it comes on, I watch it and I'm kind of <laughs> like, mm, oh, I can't, I can't help it. I'm like, hmm. I watch too much TV. I like watching the Antiques Road Show. It's one of my favorite shows. People bringing their old stuff to get it appraised. My favorite part of that whole show is the people in the background, you know? <laughs> ever wanted to see what we're all about they should just bring that tape back to their planet let me show you what we're dealing with here (laughs) yeah we can do whatever we want down there yeah they rule the whole planet they rule the whole yes they rule the whole planet let's go shine lights in their eyes to get on that show. Go stand in line for like three hours with an old rusty spatula. (laughs) Just finally get up there and hand it to the guy. So some some type of story associated with this? Oh. Well, it was in the kitchen drawer. Couldn't open it because the spatula was sticking up. So I thought maybe it's from Babylon. Okay. Do you see how this says Kmart? Would you be surprised if I told you this was absolutely worthless? Nah. When is this going to air? Absolutely worthless.